Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome back, babe, boys and girls. You know what time it is. You know where you are. This is Tyler Chef, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And for those of you that are tuning in uh, in the month of March, I am recording this episode from Phoenix, Arizona. Let me tell you, I now know why Robert Kiyosaki lives here. I'm actually staying in the town of Scottsdale, the same place that he lives. No, I'm not in the same type of house he's in. I'm sitting here in the RV, but we're having a great time. And I want to talk about, since we're talking about grossly overpriced real estate, overvalued, I want to talk about appreciation this week. We're going to continue my series on the Private Money Crash Course. Now, some of you have been offered the opportunity to jump on the Private Money Crash Course. You saw how ridiculously low I have it priced, and you still passed on it. So for those of you, I'm going to give you the information anyway, some of the information, a lot of the information in the next couple episodes. I'm going to start teaching segments of this course, elements of this course. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give away the whole course for free here on the podcast. You're going to have to go over there. And at the time of this recording, I got this thing priced at 49 bucks. Come on, guys, 47 bucks or something like that. This thing is priced where anybody needs to pull the trigger. You get the forms, you get everything that comes with it. It is a mind-blowing amount of information. Guys, I give this stuff away. $49 is free, in my opinion. Okay, That doesn't. That barely co- covers the cost of the ClickFunnels account that displays it to you and gives you the membership account. So before we kick off, if you've been on the fence about that, you missed the opportunity before and you changed your mind, you start finally starting to realize that, well, raising money isn't as hard as you might think it is because if you just pull the trigger and go through this training, you take a couple hours out of your day, You spend what you would normally spend going out to dinner. Actually, you spend about half of what you would normally spend going out to dinner with with a friend on a Friday night. On this course, you go to privatemoneycrashcourse.com and you pull the trigger. It's that simple. All right, so the Private Money Crash Course, it's about learning how to present deals to to potential investor partners. Last week or two weeks ago, I made a post on the Cashflow Guys community about private money. One of the overarching themes was not knowing how to approach somebody and ask for money. And now my reply is, I get it. I used to feel that way too, but I don't want you asking for money. I don't ever want you out there asking for money because that's going to get you in trouble, okay? Nobody likes humping somebody's leg for a dollar to, to go flip a house or buy an apartment building. It's no fun. It's it's painful. It's Frankly, it's embarrassing. And then if you get the no, that sucks even worse. So how about we just skip that part altogether? We jump into the good stuff. We talk about teaching them what's in it for them. Now, before I go any farther, that doesn't mean you go on Facebook and you become a lazy investor and you make these well-crafty little worded posts to try to skirt the law, you know, figuring out different ways to promise a return without promising return, thinking you're all slick and crafty. Don't go down that road, guys. Instead, be a teacher, okay? You can attract all the private money you need by simply becoming a teacher. Well, Tyler, I don't know anything. Well, then maybe you're not ready to do a deal. How do you know something? Well, you learn. It's that simple, and that's what I go through in the Private Money Crash course. I got I have several videos laid out where I've done this in front of students of mine before. They get it. They've used this exact formula to raise lots of money. It breaks down the deal so that, number one, you, of course, understand it, but number two, more importantly, whoever you're going to do business with, the financial friend, understands it too. And when they see the different elements of the deal, they're going to be able to see, and actually you're going to give them the opportunity to choose which elements of the profit centers would they like to participate in? It makes it very difficult. If you go through this pitch, I have perfected this pitch, guys. It works really, really well. If you go through this like I teach in the Private Money Crash course, no doesn't even become an issue. 
what it does do is it weeds out the tire kickers that don't have any money, okay? But more importantly, what it does is it shows the folks that do have money, that are serious, that are qualified, how the deal will break down and benefit them. That way, you don't have to sit there and, and say, oh, I can promise you this or I'll give you X and X return. You're going to lay a menu out similar to going to a restaurant and you're going to show them the different things. You've got your entrees, you've got your, your uh, drink menu, you've got your wine list, you've got your, on, your entree list, appetizers. All these things are laid out and it allows them to pick up the pieces they want because fair people realize that they can't have the whole pizza. Okay. You can't go to a restaurant with a friend, order and only order a pizza and eat it all yourself and stare at them. You got to leave some pieces for the other friend. That's how you do things. Using this pitch that I've that I've I'm gonna walk you through in the private money crash course is gonna help you get through this uncomfortable process. Yeah, understand this: raising money does not have to be uncomfortable. You just got to go to privatemoneycrashcourse.com, pull the damn trigger, get the information you need, and apply it. Okay, that's simple. Now, I'm not gonna make this whole thing a sales pitch. I want to break. I want to get down to the meat of it right here now. Understand this: there are five types of appreciation. Okay, we can. You want to deep dive in this stuff, you want to get all engineer grainy like, then go ahead and get the course and that all the rest of the stuff is in there. But I want to cover the stuff today that you can put into action as soon as you're done listening to this episode, okay? As soon as you're done. Understand this, five types of appreciation, okay? Found, forced, phased, inflated, and passive, okay? Understand that. Again, it's found, forced, phased, inflated, and passive. Those are the five ways that a deal can appreciate, right? That an asset will appreciate. I know you're going to come up with different names. You may have different things, but Tyler this, but Tyler that. What about cap rate? Screw all that for a second. Stay with me. Found, forced, phased, inflated, and passive. Got it? Okay, let's move on. It's important to note that out of these five, only three of these do you have any control over, okay? We cannot control two of them. The two that you can't control are inflated and passive. So when you're basing returns, whether it be your returns or somebody else's, on things which you cannot control, can we agree? Can I get an amen that that's kind of dangerous? So how do we avoid that? Well, we just don't do that. So then, Tyler, how do we get our investor any return? Well, we focus on that which we can control, and we base returns on that which we can control. Forget about what we cannot control. If those elements generate appreciation, well, Yippee skippy, that's outstanding. Then you got you got even more money. So maybe you can over deliver. How about that? What a concept. Let's start with inflated. Inflated appreciation is what many people refer to when they mention hyperinflation. It's when supply and demand are in, unbalanced. Okay, that's what's going on right now. Appreciation is impacted. When supply and demand is unbalanced, appreciation is impacted. Whether it's a good impact or a bad impact depends on which side of the spectrum you're in. So when there's more demand for for property or for assets than there is inventory, inflated appreciation occurs. Guys, that's what we're going through right now. Okay. That's what markets, a lot of markets across the US are experiencing. That's why in California you you know you get a hundred square foot shipping container that's dangling off a cliff is ten million dollars. Or you can rent it for sixty thousand a month. Or maybe you're in New York City in a in a, a fifty square foot apartment where you gotta stick one leg out the window is ten grand a month, right? Or Ryan Sirhan will sell you whatever. Maybe you're in Florida and you're paying a couple thousand dollars a month in rent. Whatever it may be, when you have an imbalance of supply and demand, you've got more demand than you have supply, that will artificially appreciate properties. What I mean by artificial is that's not real appreciation because that could switch the other way in a heartbeat. That could change really, really quick. 
Hashtag coronavirus. People are losing their flipping minds over this coronavirus. It may be legit. It may not be legit. It doesn't matter. What does matter is people's perception of whether they feel it's legit or not and how they react accordingly. So imagine if you're a guy that's got a 100-unit apartment building. You just raised the money. You did everything right. You did all these projections. And then somebody gets a stuffy nose and a cough in the building and says, I think I got coronavirus. And all what, ha- what happens to all your tenants? They go bye-bye. And it takes you now six months to lease up after CNN's out there pounding the pavement going, this slumlord allowed coronavirus into his building. Well, what do you think the va- happened to the value of your property? It would tank. But understand this. If you're the guy that owns the apartment building across the street and all the tenants that ran away from the infected place ran to your apartment building and you now have 100% occupancy, well, that guy's value goes straight up because supply and demand are imbalanced. Okay? These are things that the inflated appreciation, it, it, it just happens all, it happens cyclically. It's ending in a lot of markets right now. So you're starting to see changes, but just think of this for a second, and this is one element that you could share. Okay? I have bought properties specifically because I knew that if I did a little tweaky-tweak, I knew that if I just changed the price and, and advertised better than the other guy without doing a damn thing to it, some knucklehead would buy it from me for a lot more than I spent. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is I buy a property. I buy it right because the seller has a problem that I could solve with my offer. Hell, half the time, before I even get the property closed, I market the living hell out of it. Ooh, Imagine what happened if I just announced a multifamily property. When I announced that 8plex to you guys a couple months ago on here on the show, my phone blew the hell up, okay, because everybody wanted a piece. So that's how it works. Passive appreciation is the next one. It's what naturally occurs. That's the ebb and flow of the market conditions, okay? It's what's derived from timeline trends, okay? There's really nothing you can do to improve it except for, obviously, maintaining the asset. But that's not really improving the appreciation. It's just making sure it doesn't wither away. Passive appreciation just kind of happens, right? It's just something that naturally occurs. Markets over time go up. And when you put add more time to the timeline, little hiccups along the way don't really have a huge impact in the overall uh, cycle of a market. And what I mean by that is if a market goes up by 20%, okay, and then drops by 10%, it's there's still a baseline average in there, so if you add if you add more years to that, those numbers that keep looking bigger and bigger or better and better, I should say. When economists talk about timelines and market cycles, they're often looking at more of a big picture view. Okay, even after a market correction, when you look at the multi-year timeline, real estate market values do in fact rise over time. And if you don't like the results you get, well, what happened the last five years? Well, not bad. Well, last ten years? Well, not as good. Well, let's go back thirty years. Oh, now that looks better. You see, and that's the thing. The data, you can manipulate the data any way you want. You can keep lying to yourself, doing this, that, and the other. The bottom line is these type of appreciations can be somewhat volatile because they're based on a lot of things that you really can't control. Passive appreciation either happens or it doesn't. If you're a single-family person and the knucklehead down the street gives his house away to some bottom feeder wholesaler, well, I got news for you. That's going to impact your property value. Absolutely. If you have a 3-2 house and that house is a 3-2, and Joe the knucklehead sells his house for hundred grand less, whether it needs work or not, guess what's going to happen to your property value? It's going to be affected. That's how it happens. Okay? You could also have passive depreciation. We're going to talk about that another time. Now, be careful in basing your investor returns on that which you cannot control. Okay? Be very careful with that because that can get you in hot water. 
you know, unless you better, if you're to stay out of hot water, that's when you start getting into, maybe you should do a syndicate. Maybe you should hire an attorney and get all these disclosures written out. Make sure they sign on the dotted line. Make sure the person's qualified, yada, yada, yada. That's when you're guessing guys. But when you know what you're doing and you can actually give a note and a mortgage, or you bring them in as an actual partner on the deal and give them equity in the deal. Now we start changing the thing. So let's talk about found appreciation. Let's talk about what we can control. Found appreciation comes from, well, previously undiscovered opportunity, okay? Undiscovered opportunity. That means you've negotiated a great deal. You bought the $100,000 property for $60,000. That's found appreciation. Well, that's pretty much a no-brainer. If you've got something under contract you can close on, and all you got to do is change, knock the shrubs down the front yard and make forty grand. Well, that's pretty easy. Hey, Mr. Vester, tell you what, you and I are going to buy this house together. You're going to bring sixty grand to the table so I can close on this thing. I'm going to spend five hundred bucks knocking the sub the, the uh, shrubs down in the front yard. We're going to sell this bad boy for a hundred grand. You and I are going to split forty grand. How about that? Two thumbs up. Let's make it happen. Lots of different ways you can structure that to make it legit without having to do a syndicate and all this stuff. All comes down to how you present, guys. How you educate. Keep it ridiculously simple. Get with a good attorney that understands syndication law or, or the laws of revolving raising private money. Sit down with them, explain how you plan to proceed with the deal, and take their advice. It doesn't always mean that you have to have a PPM and all this other stuff, okay? Especially if you only have one investor in the deal. Lots of different ways. That's not the to topic of this episode. Let's get back to appreciation. Let's talk about forced appreciation. Forced appreciation, well, that's what house flippers are hoping to accomplish, even though they often don't. That's what they're going. They're shooting for. They want to take something ugly. They want to make it pretty. They like going to Home Depot. They like hanging sheetrock on a Sunday morning and doing all the other crap. They fix it up, and they sell it for a higher dollar. This is also what syndicators do in multifamily and mobile home parks. In a lot of cases, they'll buy a building. They'll make some changes to the apartments, make them nicer inside, add granite countertops, change the appliances, maybe do cabinets and things like that, tidy up the pool area, landscape, change the name, paint it, you name it. Things that would make people pay more money to live there, when they do that, they raise the, the income, they therefore raise the value. Because income property, the value of income property is tied to the, the amount of revenue it produces. So you can do this basically with uh, forced appreciation. You make it pretty, you make it generate more money, it's going to put more money in your pocket. Whether you sell it or keep it and rent it, it's going to be worth more money. Okay, Forced appreciation is a very very lucrative thing if it's done right the bottom line is your whole goal here is to is to increase the noi okay the net operating income if it's a buy and hold property arv on the other side i hate that word that acronym but whatever after repair value because that's a guess most people are guessing they have no idea what after repair value is they're just hoping to god they can get a deal on the countertops and the cabinets of home depot scratching down or they're screwed on this deal i hear that a lot that's really not a good example of forced appreciation. Forced appreciation is you got your act together. You know what's going on. It's not rocket science. You could do these basic things to it and turn it around and make a nice profit, right? Phased appreciation, that happens when you add to the asset, okay? You increase its income-generating ability over time. That can mean, let's say you, that you guys have all heard those duplexes that are always for sale that are the lot next door. And the realtor says, because there's a vacant lot next door that, you know, it's got six foot tall grass on it, that makes that duplex worth 500 grand because you could build a 40 story Trump Tower right there in that little crappy neighborhood in the hood. But in reality, that land doesn't really have any much value at all. I shouldn't say any value, but much value at all until somebody does something to it. The value of the land, boys and girls, is tied to its use. But that doesn't mean that it won't appreciate. 
What it means is, let's say you use, you buy this duplex with a lot. Okay, let's say you buy this duplex for, I don't know, 100 grand. And you're going to put 5 or 10 grand into it, maybe 20 grand into it to make it nice. And you dial it up real pretty. And then down the road, you decide you want to build another duplex next door. Well, guess what? You already own that land. You got a great deal on the land. It's going to be easier to get financing for the build because you own the land. And in a lot of states and areas, it's a requirement. But now you could phase the appreciation because you could turn that initial purchase, which was a duplex with a lot, into maybe a fourplex or two duplexes on two lots at the same address. Maybe you can refinance the duplex and wrap all this whole thing together and you can get the ridiculously cheap interest rates they have right now. Guys, this is how we can package this stuff together. Now, I know you're probably thinking, why in the hell do you go through all those different levels of appreciation with me? What does that matter? I'm not going to get into a 30, 45-minute conversation with us about that this week. We are going to cover that in coming weeks. I'm going to tie this all together and show you how I can break it out. But I'm going to leave you with this. When you look at the different ways that you can profit from a deal and you show these different ways that the deal will profit to your financial friends, the people you're going to do business with, this is when relationships start to gel. This is how you get away from the, we're going to get rich quick garbage, and you're going to lay it out on a line, the different ways, the different pieces of the deal that will profit. And you can give investors your, I hate to use the word investor, but let's say your financial friends, the people you're going to do business with that may help you fund the deal, you're going to help them see where the money is, where the juice is, where's the profit, right? Where's the good stuff and what pieces of that they can take. Notice that I didn't say that they could take the whole enchilada. This bottom line, here's the bottom line. If you apply what I taught you, and I'm going to teach you over the next couple of weeks, and you take the private money crash course, I dare you to get a no. I dare you to go talk to somebody following the, the guidelines that I'm laying out for you, clear and simple. I dare you to get a no. You're not going to get no's. You're going to get people asking good questions, and you're going to have the answers for them, but you're going to start putting more deals together. You're going to get more profitable deals because, after all, you're going to understand the deal better. And if you understand the deal better, guess what? You're going to be more confident. And when you're more confident in your deals, you're going to get a hell of a lot more deals funded. You get a hell of a lot more deals under contract, and you're going to start earning that passive income. You're going to, whether it be streams or piles, either way, it's better than punching the clock and trading time for dollars. That's what the whole goal here, guys. Trying to get you away from that. Again, if you want more information, you want to pull the trigger on the private money crash course. Right now, I got a price. I think it's at $47. Go to privatemoneycrashcourse.com. That's privatemoneycrashcourse.com. $47 knocks it out. Get access to it instantly. I'll see you guys next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.